action. Welcome to Torn Stubbs, the Trash Movie Podcast with me, Robert Gershenson, photographer and head of podcast at Trash, which can be found at movetotrash.co.uk and Joshua Winning, the greatest film critic you've never heard of. And we're going to the movies. Don't Breathe is a 2016 horror thriller directed by Fede Alvarez. This film sees three young delinquents, Rocky, Alex and Money. There's a character called Money. Because he ain't got any. He ain't got none. And they're stealing items from people's houses and they're selling them on. And they next plan to rob this house of a war veteran who he's rumoured to have $300,000 in cash somewhere in his shithole house. (laughs) (laughs) And the bonus is for the robbers that he's blind. So it looks like it's going to be quick in, quick out. It looks Mm -hmm. like it's going to be an easy peasy robbery. Easy lay. But... During the robbery, the old man wakes up and kills one of the gang. Then he locks and seals the doors, and suddenly it becomes a film where the other two have to work out a way to get out. And this film is not called Get Out. (laughs) (laughs) Had you seen this before? I hadn't, no. And it was one of those films that I'd seen the advertising. The poster's really cool. It's got Jane Levy, the star. She's got, it's like, looks really scared with her mouth with her, her hand covering her mouth, mm-hmm. Don't Breathe, really evocative title. Um, I really enjoyed Fede Alvarez's debut, which was The Evil Dead, kind of reboot slash sequel thing. That was him? Yeah, from 2013. That was, that was a pure reboot, wasn't it? Or pure sequel? No, it wasn't a sequel, it was a remake. Yeah, well, it kind of existed in the same universe as the original series. Ah. There's no character called Ash, I don't think, apart from Bruce Campbell, who does pop up. Towards the end. I think he's in the credits or something. He's in the post-credit sequence. Uh-huh. He just kind of goes groovy and that's it. Um, and he would have charged him a lot of money for that. Hell yeah. That's what he does. Yeah. But no, so I hadn't seen it because it just kind of, one of those films that just kind of slipped by. And then when it turned up on Netflix, I was like, oh yeah, now's my chance. <laughs> Why, had you seen it before? No. Oh, okay. I'd heard of it. Well, it's fresh for both of us. Fresh, yeah. Uh, is that that Rotten Tomatoes thing? How fresh is it? Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, I'd heard of it. I hadn't seen it. The title, look, one half of me thinks it's a title that harks back to the 50s and um, sort of Roger Corman, those kind of them, they, cat people, (laughs) sort of does exactly what it says on the tin. But also, it kind of undersells and undermines the movie because it's not about holding your breath. (laughs) Well, that's not what it's all, that's not everything. But that's about. what the title makes me think. No, but it's so evocative because it is kind of like, how how do you fight this kind of superpower that this blind man has developed, which is he can hear really, really fucking well. Well, that's, so, that's not a superpower that genuinely blind people, their other senses do heighten. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but, not to daredevil levels. But it still is super compared to... A sighted person. True. In that situation as well. So I must have amazing <clears throat> eyes. Actually, as a photographer, I probably do have amazing <laughs> eyes because I don't hear great all the time, do I? What? Eh? Uh? <laughs> <laughs> don't breathe. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I love the title because when they're in the house, she, uh, Rocky, she hasn't quite figured out, obviously, what the fuck is going on. But then She's you're so... 
Yeah, but you're so aware of the the sound of their breathing because you've gone mm. in going, don't breathe, don't breathe, don't breathe. And you're kind of like, that immediately makes you so sensitive to the noises in the house. Yes. So they're just like, when they first get into the house, they think that they've knocked the guy out by um, gassing him in his yeah. bedroom. But they, they end up just like going, oh, what's over there? And like just banging around a lot. And every time there was they were making any kind of noise... I was just like wincing into the chair because I was like, oh God, like clearly he's going to wake up. You know, he's going to wake yeah. up. Um, but yeah, I, I, I thought the title was great. I mean, it's better than the original title. What was the original was title? The Man in the Dark. Oh, that's shit. Which could be anything. Yeah. That could be a Pixar movie. Yeah. The three leads, the three characters, you've got a blonde girl who comes from some sort of comedy impoverished background <laughs> where they're rednecks and there's beer bottles everywhere and... You know, they they might as well have just had a burning trailer in the front garden. That's mm. how redneck and impoverished and poor and, you know, the, the arse end of the American economic scale they were. Then you've got these other two. You've got Money, who's her obnoxious boyfriend, who... Is he pissing or wanking in that opening scene? Uh, he was taking a piss, wasn't he? But he seemed to be enjoying that oh, piss a lot. because he was, was really desperate to go. What, for a wee or for a... For a wee. But it looked like he was having a... It looked like he was wanking and coming all over the place. Huh. Well, either way, they were like basically just trashing this house, weren't they? Either way, there's DNA that they can trace oh, back yeah, to him. Oh, yeah, that's true. But there's the girl, there's him, and then there's this other guy who's, who's quiet and more reserved, and he's played by the guy from 13 Reasons Why. And I understood her motivations. I understood that she's from this arse end of the economic scale, and she wants out, she wants to get her sister away from the mother who clearly now sides with the stepfather and yada 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 so far the mother was like comedy villain wasn't she just ridiculous like so far so roseanne and the connors yeah you got some money you got money haven't you sweetheart yeah like sucking like making blowjob faces (laughs) to her daughter to tease her wonderful mother (laughs) wonderful mother but then there's money i don't know what his motivation was i know his name is money and i only know that now that i looked it up to write the intro i didn't know his name (laughs) was money during the film so we don't know what his motivation is and we don't know especially what the quieter kid's motivation is for what i can see he's got an all right life he's got a nice house his dad has a job his dad treats him well he's got all these you know cool clothes and gizmos so why does he want to run away yeah i don't know i there must be some dialogue in those in those initial scenes where there must be but there i mean, wasn't i there was nothing was there, there. He definitely was in love with her, clearly. Oh, 100%. So was it not just that he was kind of being drug along in their, in their wake, kind of? But he was integral to the actual break-in, wasn't he? Because he had the codes. Yeah, and I so... didn't quite understand how. When I was watching the film, it's only after when I was reading up on it that it's his dad who either works for or owns the security firm that puts the security systems on these houses. Yeah, there's a throwaway line where... Money says something like, oh, luckily this, this house in the middle of nowhere, you know, it, his security system is run by your dad. So there is oh, a line. Exposition. That's not a throwaway line. Yeah. That might as well be throwaway because it just cut to the Wikipedia page. <laughs> yeah. Highlight it in blue. Screenshot. I, send yeah. it to your friend. I think that the, the characters are kind of, they're very much kind of placeholder characters where you, you're kind of, you're meant to feel sympathetic towards her clearly because she's got this cartoonishly shit life Mm -hmm. you're meant to feel sympathetic towards alex because who doesn't love 
a kind of helpless lovesick puppy alex being um, the the boy whose dad is the security firm. yeah yeah and money you're clearly not meant to really care about because he's this kind of like really um unbelievably gobby. obnoxious yeah yeah and i was glad when, he, when died. he died that shot of him getting shot in the face cool that was something else yeah that was that's cool that was something else cool that was something <laughs> no i know you mean because it goes slow-mo and his cheeks puff out yeah, as the, light, the pressure from the, the pressure from the gun but i was glad when he died because he was a really really obnoxious yeah. character the other two you could say were quite nuanced and yeah. reasonably lifelike but he was so cartoony it was mm. it was beginning to undermine the subtlety that I think they were aiming for with this film. Yeah. It's to, to me, it felt like a kind of a, like an, you know, they call, they call them airport novels. Yeah. Where they're just kind of like digestible, short and sharp. You can read it on your four hour flight home or whatever. It's like, it's all about the thrills. It's all about the tension. Um, Not like intelligent fare. Like, right. Yeah. Killing Rumour, available now. Well, it's actually called Vicious Rumour. Vicious Rumour. <laughs> I go by the original title <laughs> because I am a diehard. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, it's, it felt like that. It felt like when Rose Cra- Wes Craven did Red Eye with Rachel McAdams. Yes, It felt yes. like that kind of taut, very, very tightly focused. Passenger 57. Yeah, it just kind of gets in, gets out. And it's a it's a it's a sort of film that my dad would watch at eleven o'clock at night. Yeah, he watches all those Van Damme films, oh, all those kind of you know nineties thrillers, so Air Force loves, One. So he, but he like, would love this. But that there's a TV channel that he would love called Movies for Men. Oh, really? For that sounds like men. porn. Yeah, I know, but it's not because not all men love porn. True. Yeah. Not all men love Passenger Fifty Seven. Mm. They should, but you know, it's the sort of films that. Um, Liam Neeson has now got a monopoly on. Mm, well, he did. And then he just like, inverted commas, retired, hasn't he? Has he? Yeah, he's oh. not doing action stuff anymore. Oh, they're really good. Like, unknown, non-stop. They're brilliant. <laughs> Taken. They're brilliant films. But this this film could definitely fit in that. But in the teen yeah. end of it, the, the YA end of things. Yeah, it felt it did feel kind of like a YA airport novel. Yeah, I like I... Even the characters were kind of slightly like ciphers and they were placeholders. I thought that the actors were great and i thought that they they teased out enough character from what was, what was on the page to actually make them quite engaging did you sympathize with any of them um i don't know i not particularly because because it didn't really feel like real life it, it felt like heightened reality yeah and so i didn't really engage massively i was more in it knowing i wanted the thrills and i wanted the tension of it um, and it was it very cleverly plays with that. So there's a, there's a great shot where they, the th- the trio first break into this creepy house, and um, Alex kind of ducks down to look at a safe or look at something, and the camera just pans into a, a wall full of um, tools, like a, yeah. a sledgehammer and like this kind of stuff. And the the, the film very cleverly kind of goes, "Hey, that's going to come back later." Yeah. <laughs> um, well, it's like the idea: if you introduce a gun in the first act, it needs to be fired by the third. Yeah, Chekhov's gun. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I, I enjoyed it. I, I coming into the podcast, I didn't feel like I had that much to say about it though, because it's just such a, it's just a, like it does what it says on the tin kind of film. Yeah, is there's nothing really much else going on. You know, it's just a very well shot, small thriller. What did you think? What did you did you enjoy it? I did enjoy it. I question whether it's horror. Yeah, it's more thriller, I think. Definitely more thriller. But I just wonder: has horror, the idea and the genre, has it been stolen by other genres mm. just to get it sold? 
you know, hostile to me is not horror. It's just gory and um, a bit juvenile. Yeah. And this, this is almost the same as that, but without the juvenile sort of tone to it. You know, Eli Roth is, is still a teenager. He always will be. He can direct as many walls in the clock did you the, see that? The clock, the, the, was it? The clock in the, the wall, house. The house with walls in the clock or some shit. <laughs> <laughs> it's called the house with a clock in its walls. Yeah, he's direct. I haven't seen it, but that just does not scream to me. We yeah. need Eli Roth for this film. I know. And actually, I really enjoyed it. I haven't seen it. Okay, well, give it a go. Because actually, it's pretty... Some of it, like... So, a lot of it is very kind of... Um, kind of Standard. Ni- nicely shot Harry Potter kind of kid yeah. stuff. But it's a bit more ambling than that. And then, but the, when it goes into the horror stuff, it doesn't hold back, and it is properly maybe that's scary. why they asked him to do it. Yeah, then. so I'm like, Whoa. but that's weird because he's not a horror director, as far as I'm concerned. He's right. an immature gore director, and that's almost kind of if you took the gore side of Eli Roth mm. and mixed it with John Carpenter mm. or Wes Craven, mm-hmm. this is what you get. You get Don't Breathe. So it was very, really competently directed. I I didn't fall for any of the tricks because they are old tricks yeah like the black and white underground sequence is silence of the lambs but that was still gorgeous i, I still yeah, yeah. really enjoyed that and in fact and there's a really spooky moment where the camera pans backwards and the, the guy Stephen lang the, the blind man yeah he just kind of like fades into the wall yes. it's so creepy very well done it made me think about films in the past where i've subconsciously held my breath so I remember watching Parts of Glory for the first time. Have you seen that? Oh yeah, great film. So Kubrick, yeah. um, Kirk Douglas. So the end, spoilers if you haven't seen a 63-year-old movie, you should. <laughs> You've There's got a... such a thing about spoilers for old films. <laughs> All right, spoilers, yeah. Just right. want to make sure. <laughs> Just check it, check it at the door. <laughs> Why am I Danny Dyer? <laughs> Because I watched a really awful program the other day that was narrated by Danny Dyer. So maybe he slept, slipped into my subconscious. Slept into your subconscious. He slept in there. I'm in bed with you. <laughs> in your mug. Roll up, I want some covers. <laughs> Here, feel his breath on your neck. Ugh. But there's an execution scene yeah. in that film that is so intense that when I was watching it, I realised I was holding my breath. Mm. Cut forward however many years later when I saw Apt Pupil, the Brian Singer a directed mm. adaptation of a Stephen King novella with Brad Raffreno. Mm. May his may he rest in peace. And um, Sir Magneto himself. <laughs> and when Magneto is marching on the spot... Spoiler, I haven't seen the film. Spoilers! When he's marching on the spot and he's in the Nazi uniform for the first time in years and he's loving it and he's back and Brad Raffreno can't control him in that moment, I realised I was holding my breath. Mm. Here... All right, all right, Destiny's Child. <laughs> is that a Destiny's Child song? Hold my breath, baby boy, if you hold my breath. Isn't it? No. Don't know. I don't listen to <laughs> Destiny's Child. <laughs> I've been listening to Steps a lot this week, though. Oh, they're good. I know. Mm. Um, but I realised in this film, I consciously held my breath, especially in that that basement with all the lights off, that, that blackout mm. scene, because I didn't want to make a noise. Not because I was going to disturb old blind man, old blind MacDonald, or whatever his name <laughs> is, but because I didn't want to miss any sound effects that were going to happen. Oh, that's interesting. Because the sound drops out almost, mm. and it becomes almost a completely visual experience. And a lot of, a lot of this film is dialogueless. That's the great thing about Stephen Lang is he had 13 lines of dialogue in this film. 
That's pro- like how many did um, Hannibal Lecter have? Anthony Hopkins and science. He was on screen for eight minutes. Yeah, it's like it's comparable. But he to that. spoke nonstop <laughs> all the time <laughs> <laughs> to the point uh, where. <laughs> <laughs> Kenneth Williams. <laughs> oh, gosh, Clarice. Oh, the silence of the lambs. Oh, no, Mason. <laughs> what did old Mike say to you on the other side? <laughs> what? And she's just like, Chanel like, number I don't five. Know. She's like, just like, Chanel, just, just wear my handbag. Just wear my handbag. But, yeah, so Stephen Lang had 13 lines of dialogue. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But we weren't, we weren't talking about that. We were talking about the sound, sorry. Well, yeah, but the, I said it was a dialogueless oh, right, yeah, film yeah. and you said 13 lines of dialogue, sorry. which is almost like Hannibal Lecter with his eight minutes on screen, but also Judy Dench in her eight minutes and an Oscar win. Oh, yeah. From um, Shakespeare in Love. Yeah, that was great. Some of the dialogue in this, for him, they could have cut out. He didn't need to explain to us that I'm going to impregnate her because she took away my daughter. I can work that one out myself and I think it would have been more powerful had they left it with some ambiguity because then some people would get it and they would say that's a really horrific and sick and twisted but Mm. sympathetic thing to do and other people wouldn't get it and the mystery of why he's not fucking her but he's actually turkey basting some spunk into her Mm. would be left and they'd be left with the confusion and that is probably more horrific than the reason behind the act. And also, I'm sorry, that is still rape. Like, just because you're not putting your cock inside, it doesn't mean you're not raping her. 100%. Like, he's like, I'm not a rapist or something. He's like, no, you are. You actually are. There was so much spunk in that cup. That was gross. And then but we... how many times, or is that for one load? He's a very virile, Have you seen elderly him? man. I'm surprised he's got any, considering how many steroids he's clearly taken. He wasn't very dehydrated, yeah. like physically. Or, I don't know, can he be dehydrated mentally or emotionally? <laughs> I'm always dehydrated mentally, especially after talking to you on this podcast. Um, Five stars, you, Joshua. What did you, what did you <laughs> think Apple of, podcast. <laughs> what did you think of him as a villain, though? What did you think of Stephen Lang? Um, I, I don't think I've ever seen him before as an actor. What's he been in? The thing that I know him from is Avatar. He's the... He's the general. He's the ridiculous Fuck, he's guy. aged. Or maybe, no, clearly he's made to look older here. Yeah, no? yeah, I think he must have been. Yeah. Phenomenal, I think it's a really great performance um, because he starts off, you, you completely have his sympathies because he's alone, he's in bed, he, he's sort of like, he sat up in bed because he heard a noise, money came into the room to set the, the gas trap. Yeah. And you do feel sorry for him because he is an old man. He's a war veteran who blinded in the Gulf War. And he seems really vulnerable. It's only when... And he also kind of goes, hello. Yeah, so he's a bit seemingly frail. But then when he's out the door, when he's out of the the bedroom and he's, he's with them in the front room and you see that he is fucking jacked like the rock. Yeah. And he could smell what everyone's cooking. (laughs) Oh, yeah, he kept stopping and sniffing the air. Yeah, like (laughs) Scooby-Doo. I expect him to float on the the smell waves. Is that what they're called? The scent. (laughs) (laughs) You're the writer. I'm the photographer. (laughs) This is what happens when you add jelly babies into the podcasting mix. Yeah, jelly babies and Jaffa Jaffa Cakes. My favourite. But no, I I really enjoyed his performance. Um, But I said some of that dialogue could have been, should have been cut. Mm. But just a powerhouse... He was really, like really good. physical as yeah, well. Yeah, he's he wasn't he wasn't overly swift. He wasn't like Jet Li. He was just like a, a tank. He was 
you know, he only needed to hit you once, maybe twice, and you're out for the count. He was he was like a sledgehammer, and he was slow with it. A bit like Rocky in Rocky Balboa, mm. where they realize you don't have the speed, but you do have the the strength. So let's make some hurting bombs. Yeah, yeah. And you've got the skills. Do you yeah. mean Rocky Balboa or do you mean John Rambo? No, no, no. Rocky Balboa. When he's he's running oh, the I restaurant. I've seen that one. I've seen oh, Creed. Oh. Uh, yeah. Confuser did. No, I thought Stephen Lang was brilliant. Like he he was the perfect balance of kind of vulnerable, but also fucked up and terrifying. Yes. Like you, he's, he seems like somebody who is completely ruled by his emotions and this notion of revenge and it's like if you do something to poke the bear he is going to react in a completely over-the-top insane kind of way well that's he's he's a military man so that sums up that completely sums up the the opinion of the american government Mm. you know they will they will always go for the revenge yeah that's what munich steven spielberg's munich is all about yeah the fact the film is Based, that, that Munich film is based on a book called Vengeance. Ah, uh, no way. Yeah. Huh. You've seen Munich. I have a long time ago. But I remember holding my breath in that film. My God. During which scene? That bit of the hotel when the hotel blows up. Oh, fuck yes. That's tense as anything. Yeah, I'd say that's probably Spielberg's. One of his top fives. Yeah, it's so good. How do you feel in this one about the reverse zooms? The reverse zooms? What, so they pull out? So, you know, in Jaws, when the shark first attacks and it zooms in yeah. to Roy Schneider, but it looks like the background's pulling away. Yeah. So that kind of reverse zoom. And, oh. and Hitchcock used it at Invertigo at the top of the stairwell. It's possibly the most overused technique in cinema, mm. but people still use it. it because it looks awesome. It looks awesome, but... Is it in this film? It's, there, are, there are at least two in this film. I didn't even notice. So when she's crawling around in the air vents and she sees an exit... Oh, the dog. No. no, no, the dog. The dog oh. doesn't do it. He can't operate a camera. He's <laughs> got opposable thumbs. Um, so she sees an exit and it suddenly seems to be like zooming away from her, but the, everything's gone a bit weird. It's a reverse zoom. Huh. So I just wonder, are you that ingrained in cinema that it just didn't even... It just are we, are we so used to these techniques now? Yeah. This is another question I guess this is raising. Are we so used to these techniques that it can happen and boom, it's just not special anymore? Yeah, because I didn't even notice at all, actually. Normally I'm pretty hot on that kind of stuff. Yeah, I guess it works because it gave me an emotional reaction that yeah. wasn't conscious maybe. I just wonder why people choose to use it. Yeah, my favourite use of it is in one of my favourite films. which is I don't remember it being in Dark Crystal. They didn't use it. <laughs> so Muppet, it was in... Um, Muppet pulling. It was in Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead. What? Yeah, and it's when they realise the babysitter is like actually quite terrifying. And it zooms in on them, on the kids, like looking really scared. And then the, the Twilight Zone goes off. It's so good. It's cool. I love it. It's so good. It's like, I a, love... it's like a proper staple of 90s cinema. Yeah. Like when the, the, the secretary's like having a panic and rolling around the floor, picking up all the M&Ms with so their big good. nails. I'm right on top of that, Rose. That's it. <laughs> love it. Um, I like how with this, with Don't Breathe, Fede Alvarez, he called the movie an exercise in reversal, which I think Explain. is... Well, because it's like the heroes are the ones doing the home invasion. The heroes are they heroes though? Right, they're anti-heroes. But it's essentially like a reverse home invasion. Are they? Hang on, are they anti-heroes? Because they're not. Liam Neeson is an anti-hero in something like 
uh, A Walk Among the Tombstones or um, Bronson is a hero in Death Wish. Mm-hmm. You know, he's a, a vigilante. They're taking the law into their hands for the, the for you know for a better cause. They're not heroes or anti-heroes in this film. They're they're robbers who are having vengeance exacted upon them. It just so happens that the person doing the exacting <laughs> is also a bit of a shithead. Yeah. Well, he's a proper villain. He's like the monstrous villain. What well, is he? Or is he just a grieving father who's also suffering? He's suffering from PS, you know, post-traumatic stress disorder from the Gulf War. Uh-huh. He's blind and his daughter's been killed. So he's taken the correct revenge. The correct revenge? <laughs> I guess you could call what, that. Stringing up the woman in the basement? <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, in, in his eyes, or not his eyes, but in his, in his head, you know, he's only been given 300,000 because the family were rich and they just paid him off. And there's that line that says, rich girls don't go to jail, which sounds like a Russ Mayer film. Mm. It does, doesn't it? It does. That'd have been a great title. And it makes me think of um, the Ring Bling, or the Bling Bling, whatever it's called. (laughs) 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 But you know, you've seen that. The Bling Ring, yeah. The Bling Ring. So the end when um, Hermione is is like doing her TV interview and making it all about her. Uh She's clearly done something shit. And she's a rich girl, so she's getting off. Mm. So no, they're not heroes. No one in this film is a hero. No. But the lines are, are very ambiguous. And that, that, yeah. to me, that to me makes me think this is very much born out of 70s cinema. If this wasn't so slick, if it wasn't such a... Because it is a really slick looking film. It's all these turquoise and greens and, mm. you know, it's lit really well. And it's got a budget behind it. If it was a low budget like no trashy but it, you can look at it and go this looks like something that dimension put out in the late 90s yeah you could yeah it's got some budget but if it was like a ten thousand dollar movie this could have been a wes craven back in the day yeah yeah this could have been last house on the left yeah it could easily and actually weirdly there is a kind of a wes craven reference in when she's actually climbing in through the vents is she that is completely um the people under the stairs which is like wes craven's weird 90s film oh i haven't seen Set that in house where there's like hidden recesses behind the walls and stuff it's pure that sounds like the x-files there's an episode yeah. of x-files where someone's living in the the air duct isn't there oh it's uh the tombs one is that him the guy who can stretch yes yeah terrifying <laughs> that's like the scariest thing the x-files that's in ever like, came up with that's, an, that's one of the early episodes isn't it yeah season one it's like episode four or something because i've i've never i've i think i've seen bits from back in the day and i think i've seen that episode that's why i remember it mm. if you had to choose between watching this and watching panic room which one would you choose i'd probably choose green room <laughs> which i haven't seen but everyone keeps telling me to watch um i, I really 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 enjoyed green room mm. green room had me on edge yeah. this did not so i if it's between this and panic room i might go with panic room mm-hmm. even though it's not fincher's best but mm. even fincher's worst is probably still better than some other people's best actually let me take that back because fincher's worst is benjamin button and that's a oh, piece of shit so awful <laughs> that is a piece of shit oh. um and in fact i watched zodiac recently obviously i've got to because we're going to a quiz and that's one of the rounds um have you watched it yet i've seen it oh okay yeah um that's that's brilliant it's um, it's it's a masterpiece yes it's like there's no resolution this film there is a resolution but we see it almost at the beginning how do you feel about this film starting off three quarters of the way and then jumping back and allowing the film to play out because it opens with him dragging her up the street oh yeah that's a great shot great shot but 
doesn't it just completely remove any sense of hope and urgency and sympathy for that that female character it really does because you're just like well you're waiting for the scene where she's been dragged down the street by him so you know she's going to get out at some point and you just you're waiting for the the film to catch up with itself and it's kind of like it fell at expense of a really awesome opening shot i thought i'm not so sure i think that if if she'd been dragged down the street in the middle of the film it would have been fine because then you would have had another extra half of the film to have kind of inverted commas fresh material yeah but because you get to the midpoint and then you carry on you're like oh well clearly that's kind of right near the end of the film so you're just waiting and waiting and waiting which is which is a problem i have with a lot of these horror films like i've spoken before on the friday the 13th episode that after a while because those films are all the same and because you know how they're going to end you're just waiting you're just waiting for the, the final coda and then the credits. Yeah. So with this, I was just waiting for the bit where he drags her up the street. And prior to that, if there's anything that was happening that her life was seemingly in danger, it just rendered that mm. not true. It just rendered that, well, she's clearly going to get out because she's been dragged up the road earlier in the film, which is actually yeah. later in the film. Exactly. Do you think this film would... Do you think the, the, the climax and the, 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 the pace or the, the expectation that you feel during this film would have been better had they just started it where it should start, where it actually starts, not start at the end and jump forward. It would have been cooler if if we couldn't tell it was her. If it had been, if she'd like had her hood up or, because she's pretty messed up anyway, so you can't really tell what she's wearing. Or if she's had like a bag over her head or like a mask on. But the camera, you know, it tracks all the way down from yeah. the trees and it zooms into her face and then it cuts to earlier in the, the, the day, the week, whatever. And the, the camera's on her. It's making a link between her and her. Yeah. So it's clearly telling us saying, you know, this is her. True. Yeah, it probably would have been stronger without it, to be honest. Because it's still a cool opening after that initial shot where they bust into a place and they ransack it and they get out. And you're like, hey, these are the guys we're going to supposed to be rooting for. But what does that so, shot say? It just says there's all this expanse of space mm. and you cannot escape to the expanse of space because you are being dragged back to that small space. Mm-hmm. So that as a shot, what that shot tells us and you know what tells us about the story would have been so much better had that shot been used later on. Yeah. Because they go from being trapped in this enclosed space to suddenly being out in the open to going back to the small space. Mm-hmm. I think the story in that shot is lost when you put it at the, at the start. Yeah, I agree. Were they just being too clever for their own good? Yeah, it's like it's just a technique, isn't it? It's kind of a stylistic choice that doesn't necessarily work mm-hmm. this time. I also don't think that the epilogue works. Where they're at the airport and you see the news report, it just doesn't add anything. Were they setting up for a sequel? Well, yeah, because there, there is talk of them doing a sequel. Don't breathe again? Don't, yeah, exactly. Is Stop, that what it's called? Don't still breathe. <laughs> I know what you still did breathe. <laughs> <laughs> so that was Don't Breathe, directed by Fede Alvarez. Yeah, it was. It was indeed. That's the one. Don't breathe. Don't breathe. Just, just hold your breath, Rob. No talking. Not even a little bit. Not even when you're eating a Jaffa cake. Let's see if I can do this whole thing on one breath. <laughs> so... Apple Podcasts app. 
You just breathed. I'm asthmatic. <laughs> I can't help it. Um, come and tell us what you think on Twitter at Torn Stubbs Pod. Also, jump on the Apple Podcast app and give us a tick. Give us a star rating. Yeah, you can try and give us a tick, but that is not a thing on Apple Podcasts. That's what happens. It is when you when you give it a star rating, it goes tick. Oh, really? Rated. Oh, yeah. I'll have to give more five so star reviews. You can get ticked off if you rate us, basically. Marvellous. Yeah. Who doesn't like getting ticked off? If you like film, theatre, music and culture, head to movetotrash.co.uk. We're off to hold our breath. Until next time, I remain Robert Gershenson. I'm Joshua Winning. Cut.